Hello, and welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is the third episode of TMX Group's new series of discussions with business leaders from across the capital markets landscape. And really the goal here, and particularly with this medium, is to dig a little deeper with some of the people at the forefront of progress in a broad range of industries. To gain insights from the influential decision makers and visionary entrepreneurs helping to shape the future business landscape here in Canada and around the world. My name is Shane Quinn. I'm Vice President of Corporate Communications and Brand Reputation here at TMX Group. And I'm the host for today's special episode, a one-on-one discussion with John McKenzie, Chief Executive Officer of TMX Group. For those of you who may not be familiar with who we are and and what we do, TMX Group is the owner-operator of Canada's premier equities and derivatives exchanges, Toronto Stock Exchange, and the Montreal Exchange. Two pillars of the Canadian financial industry, each with 170 years of history, serving a broad range of stakeholders, including companies and investors here in Canada and around the world. TMX Group's portfolio also includes TSX Venture Exchange, the world's number one listing and trading venue for small and micro-cap companies. We also own and operate Canada's clearinghouses, CDS and CDCC, critical components of the country's financial infrastructure, and Trayport, a London-based connectivity platform for European energy markets. Okay, I realize this is a bit of an extended intro, but the setup is important. TMX has a compelling story to tell. It's a story of an organization that has evolved over time, from a regional player to a proven industry innovator and a global leader with a long-term growth agenda. TMX Group's roots are intertwined with Canada's history and the institutions that helped put this country on the map. And our story is still being written. And our guest today is the most qualified to take us through the next exciting chapters and to provide context around how TMX and the broader ecosystem that we serve is evolving to meet the needs of the modern marketplace. CEO John McKenzie is a 21-year veteran of TMX. He was named CEO in August of 2020, following a four-year stint as Chief Financial Officer. Prior to his time as CFO, John served in various roles across the organization, including finance and business development. Hello, John, and welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. Thank you, Shane. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here today. Awesome. For the listeners out there, I've had the pleasure of working with John for almost all of his 21 years at TMX and getting to know him over that time. And and we sort of grew up together professionally at TMX. We have the slightly embarrassing security photos from all those many years (laughs) to prove it. John, thanks for joining us today. Are you a podcast guy? Are you a fan of the format? I really am. And um, I mean, this one's my favorite podcast, obviously, but my second favorite (laughs) podcast is Smartless. And the reason I like Smartless so much, not just because of the great dialogue that happens between them, but I like the fact that they use the format to really get into the thinking and the process behind the guests. And too much of the dialogue in today's medium and economy is is short, it's top of line, and you don't get to get into the thinking of what matters. And, and that's why I like this format, is we can actually talk about what matters and get deeper into things. It's great to have you with us to do just that and to help us kick off this new series and process and, and otherwise. We've certainly got a lot to talk about. So let's get started. It's been a year and a half on the job, and your tenure has certainly coincided with a unique and profoundly challenging period in history. Can you tell us about how you came to the CEO role, some of your preliminary goals, and the general direction you wanted to take the organization? 
Yeah, I'm happy to. And I mean, it started with the opportunity to step in as the interim CEO when there was a change at the leadership level and the board needed to someone to to step in and ensure that we were continuing delivering on the growth strategy we had for the organization. And, you know, I have to show a lot of appreciation for the board for having the confidence in me to step in to do that. Because until you do the role, I don't think you know that you can. And there's a lot of learning in terms of what does it actually mean to sit in that seat. So I got to take on the role at the beginning of, of 2020 and quickly got, you know, a kind of a seven month on the job training. And the two values of being an interim leader is, is A, you get to actually test out what does it take to do it? Do you have the capabilities? And also know that you're getting judged all the time on terms of how you perform. But given the time frame that we had, it was the beginning of COVID, highest level of volatility we had in the market, a technology challenge within the exchange, and then a move to remote work and modifying and managing an organization that was already seeing the strain of a leadership change that was unexpected, but now actually working through an unprecedented way we had to do business. And so I think nothing else prepares you for the job better than actually having a chance to try it out. And coming through that, it helped me make the decision, is this the right thing for me to help take TMX to the next level? I didn't grow up thinking that I wanted to be the CEO of something. And so very much having that opportunity to say, what would I do with this role if I had the chance to lead the company? Because any time that you take in a role like this, it's not just about the privilege of doing it, it's about the responsibility of actually caretaking and taking the carriage of the organization to the next level. And so that's what I got to do over that kind of six, seven months is, is really think about where I'd like to take the company next. Right. Well, it's having been privy to some of the challenges over that time period, it uh, certainly was a crash course in leading the organization. It makes sense that it would have prepared you for pretty much anything you could face over the next few years. Just in terms of your history here, you've worked with many TMX CEOs over the years, spanning our entire history as a public company. And you've seen TMX from many different angles while the company has evolved. Even just in terms of, of the most recent transition from CFO to CEO, how do you see the company differently from the CEO seat? The biggest thing, and I can put this in context of also the you know four great CEOs that I had the chance to work with beforehand, from Barb Stymius, Richard Nesbitt, uh, Tom Clowett, Lou Eccleston, who all brought something unique to the role and unique to the organization. But the biggest change in terms of stepping in that seat is you have the full view of everything that the company delivers, all the people within the organization, but even more so the stakeholder community that we support. And really the importance of the institution to Canadian capital markets, to the clients, to the broad stakeholders, to the world. And that is the real difference in the in the role is that not just the leader of the organization, but to be the champion for what we can do for our clients and for how they can succeed. And the other simple piece is from any transition, that role is to, to put it simply, that learning of yes, the buck stops here. And that is a learning experience. You know, when you're in any other role in the organization, you can make recommendations, you can make choices, you can debate, but someone has to own the ultimate decision. And we've built a phenomenal team to ensure we make those decisions, but it still gets to be made here. And I think that's the biggest change when you move into that role is realizing that you've got the responsibility for getting the decision right and the carriage of, in our case, 1,600 careers that actually rely on us doing the right thing to move the organization forward. So I think that's actually one of the most important responsibilities in the job is you're there to see the organization succeed, but with all 1,600 people that make it successful so they can have prosperity in their roles as well. Right. So just in terms of, let's step back to August 2020, and in mapping out the initial direction 
you wanted to take TMX, as you say, as you step into the where the buck stops. Can you talk about some of the work that was required? What needed to be done to set a new course for the organization? And where did you start? Well, we had a good growth strategy already. That's a privilege to step into that role and knowing you've actually got a good strategy to work from in terms of where to, to build. We've got great businesses, great team, and areas of white space growth that I know we'll have a chance to talk about. But the things that we needed to do more of was actually frame out the rest of what we were doing with a really strong talent culture and start to advocate for our markets again. And by those two pieces, I mean is you can have a great growth strategy, but if you're not harnessing the culture of the organization and all the talent, you can't execute on it and you can't execute it for the long term. Or maybe you can get some short-term wins, but in terms of long-term growth, that means committed people that care about what we're doing and we're rewarding them properly. And going through, again, a transition where we had you know leadership change that was unexpected in the organization and some strain that puts on, even more was required in terms of ensuring we were really investing in culture, making sure this was a people-first company that people wanted to work at and that they could bring their best to what they're doing. It only became more important with COVID. When you get into a COVID world where you're taking 96% of the organization and they're going all to work remote, how do you keep that engagement up? You're not having the same face-to-face connections. So the importance of doing more communication, more team meetings, more clarity around strategy and purpose and focus that everyone can rally behind makes it even more important. We hired a phenomenal new head of HR through that process, Cindy Bush. And when I talked to her, even before she came into the organization, I said very simply, I want this to be a top 50 employer in the country. And not because I want the plaque or the badge, because it'll be the mark that we're doing the right things to be a people-first organization. And that's reflected by other people on the outside judging our performance against that. So that was one piece. We've got to get the culture right so we can be a high-performing organization to achieve those lofty growth objectives we've got. And then the second piece was around market and market advocacy and that recognition that We've got a privileged place at the center of the Canadian capital markets, and it is not just our right, it's our responsibility to ensure those markets continue to modernize and drive prosperity for everyone that participates in them. So being able to lean forward on what it's going to take from a government reform standpoint or a regulatory reform standpoint for our markets to continue to be successful is a key part of the job. And so that's really the three pieces of rounding out the strategy build on a great growth plan we already had, find a way to accelerate it, build on talented culture, and round it out with advocating for the market. Just in terms of the advocacy piece, zeroing in there a little bit, can you take us through some of the purpose work that was done in parallel with the culture build and what that means? Purpose is so important in in a modern organization, especially as we just talked about when you've got a modern organization where people are distributed. Purpose is that unifying piece that connects everyone through the organization in terms of why do I get up in the morning and why am I excited to do what I do each day? We really felt as a team, we had to define it in simple words that everyone in the organization could rally around. And the simple words that we came back to is TMX is here for we're here to make markets better and we empower bold ideas. And every word in that purpose was important. And that front end of it, we're here to make markets better, is all about ensuring that every day we don't rest on the status quo. We're looking how do we actually improve to ensure that these are the most competitive, deep, and liquid markets in the world. Because that's about your long-term relevance. If you're not constantly making the markets better, you don't know you're going to be relevant in the future. And the last thing we want to be is find out we're Kodak after the fact. And so always continue to improve that relevance for the long term. And the second piece, the and, 
and empowering bold ideas, that's the why. You know, the why we do it is in terms of helping that small company raise capital so that they can actually achieve their ambition. They can invent the new AI technology they're doing, the new COVID vaccine. They can hire resources. They can buy capacity and capital. And so when we're successful, we help companies generate their success, prosperity for their employees, for their investors, for their stakeholders. And so it's that two-part purpose of everything we do, of ensuring the capital markets are stronger, we're making our markets better, and our clients get success from what we do. Right. In terms of making markets better and some of the commitments that TMX has made to doing so, last year there was a shareholder proposal that we signed on to improve indigenous relations at TMX. Can you take us through some of the steps that TMX has taken since that making that commitment? It's been almost a year. And how TMX feels about fulfilling a leadership role in corporate Canada. I'm going to start with thanks to both the Atkinson Foundation and Share Canada for actually bringing this to us. Not just bringing it to us, but working with us on crafting a shareholder proposal that not only met the needs of the communities, but fit within diversity and equity and inclusion strategy for TMX in a way that we could meaningfully make a difference on it. That's really important because a lot of times when you have shareholder actions, if you don't have the opportunity to work together, can you take it to the next level and do something impactful? So everywhere when we looked at this proposal and how we could actually manage it, we were looking for how do we make a real difference? And what are things that we can do that are meaningful? So in the first year of the relationship, we've started to build a relationship with the CCAB, the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. We are embarking on their Progressive Aboriginal Relationships Program, PAR, PAR certification, which is a seven-year commitment in terms of continuing to build improvements around Aboriginal relations. And I love the fact that it's a long-term commitment. So it's not about us ticking some boxes off and checking things and doing some hashtags and doing some promotion. It's actually about making meaningful change in terms of how we operate as a company and how we interact with the community. And so that's the early stage work that we've done. We hosted a phenomenal session for Truth and Reconciliation Day to educate staff around the importance of truth and reconciliation and residential school history. This was a voluntary staff event for education that we had almost 600 employees come out and join in of our 1,600 total or, you know, 1,200 within Canada. It's a huge turnout. It's the most turnout we've had for any voluntary staff event. So the passion and the engagement in the company is there for us to actually make a difference. We had a market open to celebrate with the organizations and mark the occasion. And now we're working towards more meaningful discussions around what are the things that we can do uniquely as TMX that can make a difference for the communities. I had the chance and the privilege to participate in Share's conference just last month about how corporate Canada can lead and participate in reconciliation. And some of the ideas we have are around how we can use our capabilities in market data, our web presence, our TMX money site that has millions of viewers to shine a light on companies that are really strong on Aboriginal relations. We want to open a dialogue about how we can use the unique capabilities of our market structure because we have a unique junior market and a senior market. And can we adapt them to help Aboriginal or Indigenous business raise capital so that they can expand and generate their own prosperity? We recognize that the success and prosperity that we've helped support so many companies with over that 170-year history that you talked about 
hasn't been shared in indigenous communities. And if we can find ways to bridge that gap so they can have some of the same success that our other companies have had, will have made a real difference. Great. In terms of making a real difference, improving the markets, and helping Canada maintain a competitive edge, what role do governments play in helping to create the necessary conditions for success? And are you focused on specific taxation and or regulatory policies? And how can TMX play the role of influencer? So I'm focused on three core things there. One is we need to see growth. And we need to see plans for growth at all levels of the company because actually in a growth orientation, we can help foster that. We can support companies. We can support capital raising. We need to see level playing field. And by level playing field, I mean public companies should be treated similarly to private companies. So we've got a program called Fairness for Growth where we want to ensure that a small cap company that's raising public money doesn't face additional burdens or costs that a private company doesn't. Why would we actually make it harder for them to raise money to expand and grow their business? You know, and a very simple example around that is around taxation credits for research and development. Small capital private company gets substantially more tax credit for R&D than when they go public. The only thing that's changed about the company at that point is their capital structure and where they raised money. They're still competing with the same private company that has continue to enjoy those credits. So we're engaging with the federal government on that particular piece around, let's ensure fairness for public companies. We want to encourage financing. We want to encourage growth. So let's not create unintended barriers to doing that. And the other area is around burden reduction. And so for the last, you know, call it 20 plus years, the cost and complexity of being a public company has increased. And in each case, there's been regulatory change. It's been done for a good reason. It's been done for a rationale. But the cumulative effect of every one of those changes over the last two decades has mean it is harder to be a public company. It does cost more. So what we're pushing on, and we've got great partners within the regulatory community, is you know where are some of the regulatory rules that they don't make sense anymore? And then we can simplify for a company to ease that burden. So for example, we've asked whether or not a junior company could report twice a year instead of four times a year. They're still building their business. They don't have something to talk about every three months. So let's have them come to the market twice a year as well and let them focus on building their business. And we also look at things like disclosure rules that used to be all done with paper. Some of these rules were written before the internet. And so certainly we can modernize the communication vehicles that companies can use to talk to investors and other stakeholders. And one of the reasons this is really important, Shane, is I believe that there are new challenges that are coming that public companies have to respond to. ESG is a massive one here. Companies are going to need to be able to do a better job reporting on their environmental impact. And while it's important and it's the right thing to do, let's not pretend it's not an incremental work and effort for them. So if we can get rid of some of the unnecessary burden, that gives them the capacity to focus on things that are actually going to matter more. And so those are the really key pieces. We want to see governments drive a growth agenda. And you know certainly that's probably been our biggest disappointment over the last number of years is there hasn't been a growth dialogue in senior government levels. And we'd love to hear that again. And we'd love to participate in it. We want fairness for public companies and we want to help ease that regulatory burden. Right. Let's just build on that theme you just mentioned on ESG and facilitating growth and really helping clients address this new burgeoning investment area. So what has TMX done from an ESG standpoint in terms of serving investors? And also, where do you think we're headed in terms of whether it's new indices, new products? Where do you think we're going here in this sector? 
I like the way you phrase that because you really have to look at it at two lenses. What do we do as a company ourselves, as a public company, to lead by example? And our, our simple philosophy is that we want to be a leader in this. And, and for those that don't know ESG, it's, in, it's environmental, social, and governance factors. So you know, companies already need to do a good job disclosing all their financial metrics. But what do they disclose and how do they show leadership in being good environmental stewards, good social organizations, and strong corporate governance? Canada has always been very good on the governance side, and we're actually working on an initiative in partnership with the ICD to come up with that next generation modernization of what does good governance look like for the next two decades forward. But in the other pieces around ESG, you know, we as a public company have actually been a leader in, in environmental reporting. So we actually have reported under SASB, the sustainability standards, for two years. This year, we reported under TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Disclosures, for the first time. We apply and report against different rating regimes. So we're trying to be at the front end. We've already committed to be a net zero company. We were in net zero last year. Committed to more work around diversity in the organization, both internally at the board and we're making progress against it. So it's both about what you commit the organization to and showing tangible improvements in terms of your steps to get there. But that recognition of we can do more is because of our place in that central market, that central market operator, our place in the center of the capital market, our ability to influence is we can actually help enable other companies to succeed in this space. So we have an ESG 101 program to help our 3000 plus issuers become good ESG companies, teach them what does it mean? How do they disclose better? What are our investors looking for? We launched an ESG reporting portal in cooperation with IHS Market to make it easier for companies to report against all these various standards because it's hard and it takes a lot of work to do it right. So if we can make it easier for companies, that gets more of that core critical information in the hands of the investors that are demanding it more than ever. And we're working with the regulatory bodies as, as they look forward in terms of what kind of disclosure do they need and how do we standardize it. So we're actually one of the backers in terms of the International Sustainability Board, the setup for that to come to Canada as well, in terms of supporting that, make sure it does done well for public markets. In other parts of franchise, we're focused on how do we actually create products and services that actually help in terms of people that want to invest on an ESG basis, or they actually want to work on actually improve their environmental footprint. So we've launched sustainable bonds on exchange. We're one of the first exchanges in the world to do that. We've got ESG-based futures on the Montreal Exchange. And so while they're early stage, uh, we've actually launched products before there's actually market demand for them. And then we can build the market demand for them later on. And then most recently, we've got this really unique partnership within Trayport, as you mentioned earlier, that's our energy platform in London. We've got a partnership with Trayport and a company called Incubex that's designed to help develop and build the voluntary carbon market. So for companies like us that want to make those net zero commitments, then they want to offset the impact they've got. How do they find those offsets? How do they find the carbon credits to offset what they're doing? And so this partnership helps to do that. We actually traded our first trade ourselves last year to do our own offset. And going forward, if we think about, again, those 3,000 companies that are part of our TMX family, they are both the producers of carbon credits and the users of carbon credits. So we believe this is a solution that can help both of those groups in terms of how they actually meet their commitments going forward. So that's just a host of some of the examples of what we're doing today, and all of it designed to be on the front end of what clients need. Right. Great. So let's shift gears slightly and build on that theme. You just mentioned a little bit on building markets, right? And 
taking what we do, bringing that expertise and really what we're good at as a market operator and all that entails to new markets and helping investors participate in a way that makes sense. So here's a topic that never leaves the headlines and the cultural zeitgeist, it would seem, and that's cryptocurrency. As you look to the future of markets here in Canada and around the world, how does cryptocurrency trading fit on the list of TMX's strategic priorities? Well, before I answer that directly, let me take you back to the theme around innovation in general, because this is just another area where TMX is innovating and leading in terms of making markets better. And we have, as an organization, a long history of being innovators and being first, which you know, historically, I thought we haven't done a good enough job about telling our story. And maybe it's the Canadians in us that don't like to brag as much as, you know, some of our neighbors in other regions. We should brag a little. We were the first exchange to shut the floor down and go fully electronic. We were the first exchange to launch ETFs. We actually invented the ETF. We did it 10 years before the US market had them. We were the first ones to build fixed income into ETFs. We were the first North American exchange to go public as a public company. And so we've got a history of these kind of firsts in terms of developing into new markets and, again, making markets better. And cryptocurrency is no different. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on around cryptocurrency kind of around the more traditional exchange space. But last year, we were the first market in the world to list ETFs on crypto assets and really give you know those retail investors the opportunity to invest in crypto through their retail trading arms with the same level of transparency and liquidity they would expect from any other security or ETF that trades. And that's not available in the way that crypto markets were being developed kind of outside of exchanges. So when we take it a step forward, the types of things that we're looking to do are, again, they're all responsive to what our clients are going to need. I don't like to use a lot of analogies, but the one I use the most is the, the Wayne Gretzky analogy of, you know, we want to skate to not where the puck is, but where the puck is going. So understanding what are the future needs of our clients in terms of participating in crypto is helping to inform what we want to do from a design of product standpoint. And the two areas that are really important for us is futures and spot. So in the futures world, we now have these ETFs and other asset managers that have crypto in their programs. But where do they get that good risk management tool to offset price risk? Because we know the crypto prices, they move around quite a bit. And so we are going to look in the back half of this year to launch a futures product on the Montreal Exchange to give them that ability to offset that risk and manage those products even better. The other key initiative is on exchange trading. So we know that large banks and broker dealers are trying to figure out as well, how do they provide these assets to their clients? You know, rather than their clients taking the money out of their portfolios and going to a crypto wallet, how do they do it with a trusted partner that they can trade through, clear and settle? And those are the things that we do. They're core to our DNA. And so we're working with those big banks and broker dealers to design a product that can actually put crypto traded right on the exchange, cleared and settled through the infrastructure that they're already connected to. So giving the clients the best of that new world of an asset class they're looking for, but using all the capabilities that they've grown to trust that are and that underpin everything that we do. Right. I want to use your hockey analogy because it just makes so much sense. Hockey is largely thought of as a Canadian game, but we follow the puck, as you said, with Wayne Gretzky. And we, we go global, right? It's a global game. Mm-hmm. The exchange world and TMX's world is increasingly global. Looking beyond Canada, what are TMX's global aspirations? So today we are about a third of the revenue of TMX comes from outside our borders, outside our Canadian borders. 
personally, I'd like to see that be more than 50% because I think to be a global company, you need to be more global than local. And we've got some really important businesses that appeal to a global audience for us to build on around the world. And to give you a couple of core examples, you know, our unique market structure, TSX Venture and TSX, where we can take a company public at early stage and grow them for our franchise. That market model doesn't exist anywhere else to that success anywhere else in the world. It's allowed us to be one of the global leaders in terms of listing international companies. By any measure, we're either number two or number three in the world, even though we're not one of the largest economies. You know, within that, we've got approximately 230 international global companies that list with us. About half of them are from the U.S. And when we look at our pipeline of potential new issuers, we've got 1,600 companies almost in our pipeline, and half of them are from outside of Canada. And again, it's because that our model, our venture exchange and our senior exchange model has got a value proposition that can support a small company that wants to raise money outside of their own jurisdiction. So that's number one. Number two, our core trading markets, our equity trading markets, our derivative trading markets, they're relevant to traders around the world. So just recently, we've actually expanded our Montreal exchange trading hours. So we've moved our derivative trading hours first to European time zone, and in the back half of last year to Asian time zone. So we now trade, I think, 20 and a half hours a day in a row. And that's designed so that that asset manager in Australia who wants to get exposure to Canadian assets can now do so seamlessly in their own time zone connected to our marketplace. And it was that recognition as an organization of even though we've got great products, we've got to bring them to the world. We can't just expect the world to come to them. As an economy that's 2 to 3% of the global economy, you've got to make it easy for people to connect to us. So that's one of the things that we're doing there. And then the other area in terms of our global footprint, and you talked about it at the beginning, is our Trayport franchise. So Trayport is an extraordinary business in terms of aggregating European energy markets. And it provides such an important solution, but because for the users, these would be energy traders or brokers or exchanges, it's the only place you can see the entire market on a single screen and execute whatever strategy you have. And that solution is a solution that we can export to other parts of the world. And so not only are we looking to continue to grow that in Europe, we can take that to the United States. We can take it to other geographies as their energy markets deregulate. We already have a toehold in terms of some relationships in Japan. So as that market opens up, we can support their needs as well. And it's not because we've got something that's really cool. It's because we got something that's cool that solves a problem for energy traders in those regions. So all those areas are areas where we could drive continued global growth for the organization. Great. So we've covered Canada to a large degree. We've covered the world. Thanks, John. Is there a piece of the TMX story that people aren't getting, whether that's what areas are you focused on or, or most excited about that maybe deserve a little more shine, whether it's from the analyst community, shareholders, or quite candidly, maybe even among our own people? A lot of times it's about paring back historical mythologies. I mean, I use those words specifically because I, I love history myself and I love to get into historical stories. And I think that when we don't understand our own history, we're, we're often doomed to repeat it. But the history of TMX and particularly the Toronto Stock Exchange was very much about being a resource market, which is great. We're in a phenomenal market for mining companies to raise capital, phenomenal market for energy companies to raise capital. But that also defined us a little bit in the global world. And so investors, analysts, global stakeholders would really see us being a resource market. And I think that's actually the piece that they miss is that this is actually becoming much more of an innovation market. My snapshot proof point for you is that in 2021, 
innovation companies listed on TSX and TSX Venture reached 14% of the overall marketplace, and they're now more than mining. And so we've grown into a, a market that actually really supports net new innovation companies. It was the biggest block of new listings we had last year. It's all over the spectrum in terms of the size of the companies from very early stage to blue chip and unicorns, and also different types of innovation companies in there. You know, we've got technology companies, software development, AI. We've also got clean tech and biotech. So it is really a changing mix of what makes up the TSX and the TSX ventures, I think people need to spend more time on and pay more attention to. We can just say this, you know, it's not, it's not your grandfather's stock has changed anymore. And when you look into the companies that are raising money and the success they're building, you very much will see that. It's a much more broad-based organization than we were in the past. Great. So I think we're coming closer to the end here. I just wanted to talk to you about, you spoke earlier about having the perspective of having worked with the number of CEOs that you have here at TMX and that perspective, taking a perspective and a look back on maybe the tenures and the, and the differences or the comparisons there, how will you measure success for you and your management team five years from now? I don't mean to put a term limit on you, John, but <laughs> let's, let's talk five years from now. How do you want to think about success? What will be the uh, determining factors? I think it's interesting that you pick five years because I think if we look at those previous four CEOs, their term on average was five years. There are a couple things that I define success by. I'm looking to leave the organization better than I found it. And I know that sounds simplistic, but it goes to the heart of how I think about what the role is. The importance of our growth story is critical. And, and we've got a theme that we call TMX 2.0, which is how do we accelerate growth so that we can actually build the next billion dollars of TMX faster than the last. It took 170 years to build the company to where we are today, which is basically a billion dollar top line company. And that means in terms of how do we grow across every part of our franchise? So, you know, deeper relationships with clients, solving their problems and driving higher growth in the future than we've had in the past. Talent, this is a place that people want to work. So again, defining by we are one of those top employers to work for. We've got lower turnover. We have higher engagement. And this is a place that people want to be engaged and excited about being every day. And then impact. You know, one of the, I think, privileges and responsibilities that I have is I'm, I'm the first Canadian in the role in the last three. So it's been a decade since we've had a Canadian leading the organization. And so I think that's part of the responsibility is to really be a champion for Canadian markets and I won't consider this a success if we haven't moved the needle in terms of the awareness of the importance of the Canadian markets with the stakeholders throughout the country, some positive change that allows companies to do even more in terms of prospering from the public market and building that view of Canadian competitiveness globally. And so that is harder pieces to measure specifically, but it's one of those ones where you'll know it where you see it. And when we're being asked to showcase what we do globally, because we are the best representative of what exchanges can do to foster their local economies, that is the measure of success. So that's where I want to go to. I really want to take that everything I've learned from the four CEOs I've got a chance to work with and use it to take this organization to the next level for the best prosperity of our clients and our employees. Well, as a fellow employee, a long time colleague, I can say it's exciting to be a part of TMX 2.0 and... That about wraps it up for today. So, John, thanks very much for participating. This has really been fun. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Shane. And thanks for taking it easy on me. 
<laughs> well, for now. Okay. Thank you for listening to TMX Presents Podcast. For more insights from capital markets leaders and subject matter experts, please visit tmx.com slash POV. Have a great day.